Welcome to Carrickfergus Vineyard, a place of hope where lives are changing. We're a church in the heart of Carrickfergus, passionate about seeing people's lives changed by the love of Jesus. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having Keris and I. It's, uh, uh, we've, we've, um, we've had a really lovely weekend with you. It's been, um, it's been great. So I would like to ask you a question this morning. Let's get cracking straight away. Why are you here? It's a beautiful sunny day outside. As we were driving here, there were lots of people running along the seafront and everything. Why are you here? Why are we here? Well, what's this thing about church? What, 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 what happens when we're here? Um, do, do we really need to be here every Sunday? Isn't it okay if we're kind of followers of Jesus? Do we have to do this church thing? And, and, and one of the things that's happening in our culture right now is that there is this growing suspicion that institutions of all kinds are kind of a bit dehumanizing. And so we are growing up living in a culture which is wary of what, about what big organizations do to us. And so there are lots of Christians who are saying, I want to follow Jesus, but do I really need to be committed to church this year? Is that, is that good for us? And sometimes the, the answer is no, it's not. So what, what is all this about? What do we do about church this year? So increasing numbers of Christians are going to church less frequently. Uh, are committing themselves to the things of church at a more superficial level than we used to. And there are a whole bunch of people who have stopped going to church at all while still following Jesus. What do we do about that? And so I want to just think, uh, help us to think this morning about uh, why are we here and what are we supposed to do when we get here? And, and if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're someone here this morning who's curious about Christianity and exploring faith, you might be well on that same page. You might be saying, I'm quite interested in this Jesus, his wisdom, his teaching. It makes sense. But church, do I really want to commit to all that? So come with me this morning on, on a journey. We're going to ask two questions. Why do Christians go to church and what are we supposed to do when we get there? Is that all right? Okay, and uh, I'm not going to cover everything that can be said around that subject, but we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible with you, that'd be great. If not, we'll um, go to it on the screen, Joe, if we may. Thank you very much. And, and we're just going to read a few verses. So Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then the next slide. You let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And as you sing psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit with gratitude in your hearts towards God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So we're going to look at those uh, verses together. So I grew up in church. My parents took me every Sunday to church. Uh, Over 16 years of going to church at least once on every Sunday, I only remember three things. I remember the time the organ blew up. (laughs) That was the first time I believed in answered prayer. I remember the time that Mrs. Greener had a heart attack. That was amazing. She lived, but what was more important, they abandoned the service. It was fantastic. I also remember the time, the first time Armed Church got a PA system and a microphone. That was a glorious moment. Because the minister, bless him, had no idea how to use it. And so he kept saying, can you hear me? And all the people on the death loop at the back were kind of, oh, you know. And then there was this, just this glorious, glorious moment where the minister at the front said, now we're just going to be quiet and listen to God. But they'd set up the frequencies of the PA system poorly. And at that moment, a police car on a pursuit drove past the outside of the church. And what the policeman said over his car radio came crystal clear over our PA system. So we're all listening to God, and God says, get out the beep, 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 beep way. I also remember the time that John Wright projectile vomited over the communion table, but we won't go there. But anyway, one, one of the... Why, why do we do this? One of the interesting things about the church is that we're not sure about the answer either. And uh, if we can go to the next slide, Joe, please. Uh, different traditions of the church, for those of you who may not be too familiar with Christianity, there are six or seven different streams and traditions. We all believe Jesus Christ is Lord, but we come from different places in how we worship and how we understand that. And different traditions of the church answer the question, why are we here, in slightly different ways. So the kind of charismatic Pentecostal kind of stream of the church would say, we're here because we want to experience and encounter God. And the Bible talks about how God inhabits the praises of his people so that when we're together, his presence is all the more acute and all the more real. That's, that's one tradition. Another tradition, the Reformed Evangelical tradition, would say we are here because we've got to learn about the Bible. We've got to learn about our faith and be equipped to live it in the world. And then the orthodox and the liturgical tradition would say, actually, there's something about meeting together which shapes the whole trajectory of our lives and forms us as people in the image of Christ. So it's a bit of a confusing answer when um, uh, the church has different, um, uh, it's a bit of a confusing question when the church has different answers for it. But if we're really going to ask the question, why do we go to church? We've actually got to take a further step back. The bigger question is, why do we worship at all? I mean, it's not like God's forgotten who he is. We come here on a Sunday and sing just to remind him as if he's got amnesia. I mean, why why do we worship at all? And have you ever thought about this? God really values humility 
His son is the servant king. So why is a God who considers humility a virtue, why does a God like that demand that we worship him? Hold on, that's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? Here's a God who says, I am gentle and lowly. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and I have come not to, to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. If God is humble, why does he ask us to worship him? I may have got your attention now. Maybe not. But let's stick with that for a moment. So back to Colossians 3. If we can go to that first part of Colossians 3, Joe. Um, so he, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing a letter to a church in modern-day Turkey about AD 60. It's a church called Colossae, and it's the letter to the Colossians that we have in our Bibles. And in the first half of the, the, the letter, Paul has been describing this astonishing thing that God has accomplished. The God who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, what he has accomplished in Jesus, which changes everything forever. That's what it is to be a Christian if you're exploring Christian faith. It's to believe that the God who made this world has done something in and through Jesus Christ, which is a game changer forever. And, and Paul describes that as this profound mystery. And he says, the incredible mystery is that Christ lives in us. He's the hope of glory. And he is beyond us, but he's also in here. And in the second half of the letter, Paul goes on to unpack what proper church looks like. In verses 12 to 15, he looks at the character traits of church, what it means to be a Christian. And in verses 16 and 17, what do we actually do when we get together to be church? In verse 12, please, please notice this. The first thing Paul does being a, a letter that we read out in a congregation like we are here today, Paul tells them who they really are. He speaks over them their new identity. What does he say? He says, you are chosen. You are dearly loved. And you are holy. Allow those words to echo through the centuries over us this morning because nothing has changed. Here we are, a gathering of people just like this letter would have been read 2,000 years to, ago to another gathering of people who believed God had done something in Jesus. And Paul wrote those words to be spoken over a congregation. You are chosen by God. You are dearly loved and you are holy. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. <laughs> okay. We could have maybe managed a bit more conviction, but never mind. Please hear me on this. <laughs> this is what it means to be a Christian. This is our new identity. This is the transaction that took place on that first Easter story. Jesus swapped places with us. He became sin so that we could become sons. Jesus chose death 
so we could be gifted with life. Jesus was rejected so that we could become accepted. Jesus was hated so we could become loved. Jesus was broken so that we could become whole. Jesus experienced darkness so that we could experience light. We are chosen, made holy, and so incredibly loved. Wherever you've come from, whatever you've done, wherever you have been, you are loved by God. And if you know that your only hope is Jesus, then he speaks over you this morning. I chose you from before the beginning of time. You are dearly loved and you are holy. For those of you who are here this morning who are considering Christian faith, you're here because you're curious and exploring this, then please hear me say something. When I say that our Christian identity is that we're chosen by God, holy and dearly loved, that can sound incredibly arrogant. I honestly tell you, it's not. We know we're messed up. We know we're broken. We do not deserve this. Christians call it grace. God's undeserved love for us expressed in Jesus. And if you are a Christian this morning, I suspect that for at least some of us here, your thinking goes like this. Well, I hope I'm chosen. I think I'm loved. But holy? I know what I'm like. There is a thought that lingers in the back of many Christians' minds, and it goes something like this. If the people around me now knew what I was really like, I wonder if they would still treat me as they do. Those secret thoughts that go through our heads, those actions of our past or maybe even our present, for many Christians, there is still this secret place of shame, of embarrassment. How, how does Jesus say we're holy? See, the wonderful thing is that at the cross, Jesus swapped places with us. He became sin so that we could become sons. That's the divine transaction and the most amazing thing about Jesus and I didn't get this until I was in my 40s uh, you're surprised I'm 40 I, I understand but hear this the thing that you're most ashamed about is the thing that Jesus comes running to because that's why he came let me try and explain this my, my brother did a first aid course, and as part of the first aid course, he learned how to do the Heinrich maneuver. When somebody's choking and you kind of get behind them, and it's difficult to do with a microphone, but you kind of get your hands together in there and you basically try and disembowel them, and they kind of throw up whatever's choking them. That's a non-medical expression of, you know, yeah. but you, you know what I'm talking about with the Heinrich maneuver. So a week later, Chris and um, his wife Claire are in a restaurant, Guess what? The man opposite starts choking and the waiter's smacking him on the back and it's not working. So Chris goes, hey, here we go. Runs over, bang, comes vomiting out. He's breathing again. 
Chris is high-fiving the people in the restaurant. He's just kind of, way. As a first aider, he loved it because that's why he'd done the course. Jesus is not repulsed by our sin. He's not repulsed by those areas of shame that we cover up in our lives. He comes running. He's running after us, as we sang earlier. Because that's why he came. He w- he's the bravest man who ever lived. He was tortured. He was crucified. He came to rescue that stuff, which is broken and bruised and ugly and distorts us. It's why he came. You are chosen by God. You are dearly loved. And you are holy. And then Paul basically goes on to say, so become who you are. Learn to live in this incredible inheritance. Paul seems to assume that a huge change of identity needs to uh, lead to a big change in our behavior. That Now that we're chosen by God, holy and dearly loved, it raises the bar for who we are. I used to um, run with a mate of mine, and um, oh, for goodness sake, he was such a wuss. I mean, if it was raining, if it was cold, if it was dark, he'd find an excuse not to go running. Oh, I got so frustrated with him. And then one day, he got um, a, a letter through saying he was in the London Marathon. Wow, he started ringing me. Can we go out a bit earlier? Can we go a bit further? I said, it's snowing. He said, don't worry, we're going to, you know. It changed the whole orientation of his training because now he was a competitor in the London Marathon. And it's this same kind of idea where, where Paul is saying, this is our new identity. We have been chosen by God before the beginning of time. We are so profoundly loved. God has made us holy. So it changes our behavior. It changes the way we understand ourselves. And what becomes clear in the following verses is that this new identity and behavior revolves around becoming more like Jesus. That Jesus sets the bar for what it means to be church. His character qualities must become the character qualities of who the church is. There is a really important resemblance issue running through this passage. As Jesus representatives in the world, we are now to resemble the character of Jesus. That's explicit here in verse 13 where it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus sets the bar for forgiveness. The more we realize we personally need his forgiveness, the more forgiving we become of others. So it says, forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. But the principle of Jesus setting the bar for what it means to be church is implied throughout this letter. Verse 12, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Who does that sound like? Patience, and uh, sorry, humility and gentleness. In the ancient world, they were never considered virtues, something to be honorable, until Jesus. And then it changed everybody's thinking, ah, no, that is a virtue. That is a profound way of living. We are to take on the character traits of Christ. And in all of this, Uh, uh, in verse 14 put on the virtue of love verse 15 let the peace of God rule in your hearts be thankful all of these things character traits of Christ 
So basically, before Paul talks about what happens when Christians get together in worship, he starts with the kind of people who are gathering for worship. Before Paul talks about what the church does, he starts with who the church is. Before he talks about what we do, his concern is for who we really are. Church is the people, always and only people, reflecting Jesus to the world. And that means that Christian worship, going to church, has to have something to do with the people you and I are becoming. Going to church is about taking on this new identity. It's about shaping our behavior. It's something about the character and attitudes of Jesus Christ becoming more and more evident in us, our, our lives reflecting the character of Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to be careful with this information. Because there is a way of thinking out here which says, oh, right, so the church is supposed to resemble Jesus. Well, I know this Christian who's a right old hypocrite, so I'm having nothing to do with church. That's, that's the way our, our contemporary thinking works. Well, be cautious about that, because that's as stupid as saying, I don't go to the gym because I saw somebody out of shape going there. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't change the reality of the situation. That's why we're here. We know we're not the finished article. We know we're broken people. That's why we need Jesus. So don't play that trick in, uh, in, in your mind if you're one of those people who uh, is considering faith. So being part of church is much more than a service we attend and songs we sing. It's about learning increasingly to reflect the love, compassion, generosity, kindness, forgiveness, and peace of Jesus Christ in our lives, individually and together, so that we uh, bring good things to the world. So that's all great, right? But how does that happen in practice with church? Come on. Are you telling me being here this morning makes us more like Jesus? Really? A few years ago now, I was on a train early one morning. And I got on the train, and uh, I was going into London. And uh, so I got my Bible out, and I had my quiet time on the train. I read my Bible, and I started to pray. bloke next to me gets out his phone. He wasn't reading the Bible. He was watching a, a quiet um, interesting program, let's put it that way. And so we're sitting on the train. Here's me with his bu my Bible. Here's him with um, you know, saucy program the other side. Let me ask you a question. Which one of us in that moment was being spiritually formed? Both of us. Every moment of every day, we are being shaped and we're either being shaped in a way that moves us towards Jesus Christ or away from him. That's not true of just Christians. That's true of everybody in the world. Every moment of every day, our lives are being shaped by what's influencing us and what choices we make. And uh, uh, being part of church, coming to church, committing yourself to church this year is all part of that spiritual formation. So when did that spiritual formation actually start this morning? Well, it, it start the, started the moment you woke up, the moment you decided to go to church and not do one of the other options that are available for you this morning, all the other things you could be doing rather than instead of being here. At that moment, you started to be shaped. 
you started actually to have something bigger than yourself to worship. You actually started with a journey of making a costly sacrifice to put aside other things and say no to other things to come here. You actually started on a process of being dethroned, that you're not the most important thing in your life, that God is, and that you express that by coming together with other people. The fact that you set an alarm and had to rush to get here, you practiced inconveniencing yourself. It's profoundly countercultural. The hassle of, in, of getting here, instead of watching online, you realize that there's something more costly about being here, and actually there's something more formative about being here. Many of you are serving in different ways, doing coffee, doing band, doing sound, doing PA, um, um, uh, visuals thank you uh, all of that is joe you're being spiritually formed in the image of jesus this morning while you sit there because it's an act of service we're being shaped in the image of christ it happens as you uh, get got the kids ready the hassle of parking you were spiritually being formed even before you got to church when you started having coffee and having conversations you in those moments can be moving towards Jesus as you express love for one another, take, a, take an interest in other people's lives. Or you can just be hanging out with your mates and ignoring anybody you don't know and be walking away from Jesus. Every moment of every day we're being spiritually formed. Do you see what's happening here? There's something that's going on that help in church that begins to form us in the character of, the Christ, of Christ. So, one of the things that church leaders don't like to admit is that the longer you've been a Christian, the less helpful this service becomes. When you first become a Christian, there is, there is all this marvelous stuff to learn. And there are all these marvelous songs to sing and we experience Christ in a new way. But actually, the more mature you become as a Christian the less there is to learn on Sunday. There's always things to learn, but the, there's less. And you're discovering a richness of life in worshiping God. That Congregational worship is still important, but it's not as critical as it used to be because you found other ways of meeting Jesus and knowing Jesus and experiencing his love and power. And so, and the whole bunch of Christians, as they get older, think, oh, actually, I, I don't need to go to church, or at least as often as I used to. Do you see what's happened? It's suddenly become consumeristic. It's suddenly about, oh, what church gives to me? But if we're being formed in the image of Jesus, we come not with the mind of, oh, okay, what am I going to get? It's about how am I going to give because Jesus' character is being formed in me. Does that make sense? When I was a young pastor, we had this guy called Ron. Ron's mission in life was basically, if it moves, thank it. I mean, he was just the most generous, he's gen the most joyful human being I've ever met. He'd been following Jesus for 60 years, 70 years. He was just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I said to him once, Ron, you're in church every Sunday, but you're largely deaf. Can you hear anything I say? He said, no, not really. No wonder he was smiling all the way through the sermon. <laughs> and I, I said, Ron, you'd rather sing hymns, wouldn't you? He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. 
He said, oh, the band. He said, it's so loud. He never complained. I said, Ron, why would you come? If you don't like the music and you can't hear the preaching, why are you here? He said, I've been part of this church for 50 years. And I prayed when there were just 12 of us here. And I prayed that one day God would come and do something new. And I sit at the back in this increasingly large congregation. And I see all these families and I see all these children. And then he started, just choked up. He said, it's just wonderful. And my job now is just to go around and bless people, pray for people, thank people. He said, it's an absolute joy. Lives honed in the image of Christ as we commit to his people. And, and the thing is that if worship is ever going to be real, it's got to cost us something, right? Do you know that story in the Old Testament where David buys the land for the temple? And, and the bloke wants to give it to him for free. And David said, what kind of worship is it if you give it to me for free? I've got to buy it. It's got to cost me something. When we're Christians, because we worship a Jesus who laid his life down for us, it's not worship until it's sacrificial, until it costs us something. This is so counterculture. It goes through every, goes against everything that we're trained to think in the West today. But it's true. There is something about committing to church and to one another which profoundly shapes us in the image of Jesus and dethrones us from the whim of impulse and this inbuilt selfishness which we all struggle with. It's part of the way God makes us like his son. So, and then briefly, I must carry on, must, must finish this. Um, Paul goes on to the next bit, which is, talks about, okay, so what happens when we go to church? And he talks about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. In other words, when Christians get together, the Bible needs to be central place. That actually God, this is the book that God chose to reveal himself through. And so we want to learn from the Bible. We want to study the Bible. We want the Bible to be the benchmark for our thoughts and behavior. That's why it says, and you can admonish one another with this. They didn't have the Gospels. They had the Old Testament and the stories of Jesus but it was central to when they met together. And then the other thing it talks about is singing. It talks about how uh, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There was the Old Testament psalms, but there was the blend of the old and the new stuff that as God's people come together, we sing. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here in church and you're thinking, why do these people keep singing? Well, actually, there's some really profound things about singing. In, when we join in in singing, we're saying, I'm not an individual, I'm joining in. I'm not just an individual, I'm part of this wider church worship. I believe this, I mean this, I'm identifying with God and his people. In our singing, we can connect with God like we do in prayer. We can speak to him directly. We can experience his spirit. The, the God who inhabits the praises of his people is here this morning as we worship together. We can sense his presence. How many times have I spoken to somebody who's coming to church for the first time and just say to me as they go, could you explain to me why I'm crying? And I said, well, it's either because you listened to the sermon and it was so bad, or the presence of Jesus is here as we worship. That 
the singing is, we feel a sense of his presence, but songs can express our joy, they help us to respent, they impi- uh, repent, to be spent, repent, uh, they inspire us to be better, they connect us with God, they help us articulate our longings, they put into words these songs, the words that I long to say but would never have been able to write them myself as we sing and by the way don't ignore what you do with your bodies in worship because actually as we reposture our body we repoise our hearts so I can sing Jesus I really love you and thank you for dying for me on the cross with my hands in my pockets it, it encourages an attitude of heart I can also sing those words falling to my knees and it repoises my heart there's a connection between what we do with our bodies when we sing and we're not. So, and by the way, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're entirely off the hook. Nobody ever expects you to sing songs that you don't believe yet. I mean, feel free to sing, and we can only apologize if you're standing next to someone who can't sing. But anyway. So, I need to come into land. Earlier on, I asked a question. Why is it that a God of all humility demands that we worship him and it's because we become what we love every human being is made with the capacity to love but it's not just a capacity it's a compulsion we are made in the image of God and God is love and so therefore human beings have to love and what we love we worship Every human being ever born and who will ever live has a compulsion to love and a compulsion to worship. Trouble is, most people don't realize it and they end up worshiping something they haven't really thought too much about. When I went to my Uncle Tom's funeral, Uncle Tom had played football from a boy through to when he joined the army, played football in the army. When he came out of the army, he formed a football club. He became captain and club secretary. He spent the next 50 years of his life either refereeing, running a football club or playing football. Then he ran the line when he was too old to ref and he was still the, uh, the club secretary when he died in his 90s, I think. And so what was his funeral about? His funeral, the big moment was when the FA wrote a letter saying about his devoted service to football. My Uncle Tom spent his whole life becoming what he worshipped. And what he worshipped was football. We think about should we go to church as if it's in isolation. What else are we going to worship? Most people out there are just worshipping themselves. We're made in the image of God, but we find it much much easier to behave as if we're God. When we come to worship, it dethrones us. He is the one true God. And so human beings are made to love. What we love, we worship. What we, sh- what we worship shapes the choices of our life, and it shapes our destiny. Our destiny. Ultimately, we become what we worship. Everybody worships something, and what we worship determines who we become. And our worships and our love are trained by habits and patterns that we repeat. There is nothing in this passage which suggests we should just come to church once. It's about actually being shaped in the image of God over time. I've gone on too long. I'm going to shut up and sit down. But you remember I told you about Ron. When Ron was 80... 
we um I was doing a leaders meeting and uh I said it's it's Ron's 80th birthday. I want you to write him a note about what you see of Jesus in him. I didn't realize what I'd done. There were people asking for extension notes, you know, they were writing so much. A couple in the room had got married because Ron told them it was a good idea 40 years before. It was amazing. <laughs> and so there was this big wadge of letters that we put in a card and put through his door, which said, Ron, this is what we see of Jesus in you. I heard nothing. And when it came to Sunday, I went over to him and said, Ron, did you get the card? And he said, you are a dog, and walked off, <laughs> smiling. I went to his wife, Daphne, and said, Daphne, what's the deal? She said, oh, it was just beautiful. She said, we came home, found this letter, these letters. He sat down at the kitchen table while I made a cup of tea. He opened the envelope, and he started to read the first one. He was crying like a baby as he read the first one. He read all the way through them, and then he read them again. And then he got up and he started to rip them into little bits and put them in the bin. And Daphne said, Ron, what on earth are you doing? And he said, if I hold on to these, I will grow proud. You send me a letter like that, I'll have it framed, have it in the hall. People come in and see it. You see, a lifetime of following Jesus, a long pursuit in the sh same direction, had shaped him in the image of Christ. And you and I have a choice this year. Are we going to sit on the edges of church? Are we going to throw ourselves all in? And it's because we want to be formed in the image of Christ. And there's something about the costliness of this and there's something about the inconvenience of this, which is actually the stuff that worship is made of. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, I'm so conscious that as we talk about this this morning, we live in one of the most individualistic parts of the planet. I'm, I'm so conscious that as we talk about this, we, we live in a culture where we see really clearly how institutions are dehumanizing. Lord, we, we live in a generation where the failures of church leaders seem to be cascading around us. And it's deeply distorting our trust and our hope in the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you come by your spirit this morning and rekindle a sense of hope for the bride of Christ? Lord Jesus, would you come by your spirit this morning and open my eyes to my own consumerism and the distorted ways I view church because of the culture I'm part of. Lord Jesus, would you help each one of us to find our place in your church? 
to be a full, fully signed up member of the body of Christ so that the whole world might see that we love one another and love you. Jesus, as we, as we respond in worship this morning, may we be dethroned and may you be again on the throne of our Thanks for listening to the Carrickfergus Vineyard podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at carrickfergusvineyard.org.